We have two scriptures, an Old Testament and a New Testament. And uh, I chose the Old Testament passage primarily because it's the gospel message really concretely, but it was given almost a half, over a half a dozen centuries prior to its fulfillment. So uh, hear the uh, prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 10 through 12. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That was the prophecy. Several hundred years later, it was fulfilled in that first Easter weekend. And the disciples, because Jesus' crucifixion was so real, didn't recognize the fulfillment of the prophecy. And two disciples on the way back to Jerusalem on the Emmaus Road encountered Jesus. And Jesus opens up the stories to them. And then they invite him in to have supper with him. And here our, our, our second passage from Luke picks up. Luke 24, 30 and 32, through 32. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is God's word. I've got to tell you a story. Now, if I said those words to you while sipping coffee in the fellowship hall, your ears would probably perk up, right? Everybody loves a good story, especially if it's a juicy, real-life story. You can often tell a good story by its opening lines. Some of the best stories often have the greatest opening lines. See if you can guess a few of these stories based on their opening lines. Call me Ishmael. Moby Dick, very good. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Tale of Two Cities, we have a sharp crowd. Think of that storyline, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It draws you in to hear more. How about this one? He was an old man who fished alone in a skiff in the Gulf Stream, and he had gone 84 days now without taking a fish. Now, this is not a description of one of our elder members' winter vacation. <laughs> Old man the sea. Last one. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> These are all pretty recognizable opening lines, but when it comes to importance, when it comes to impact, when it comes to significance, nothing can compete with this one. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. These ten opening words of the Bible convey so much about life. It means that our existence is not an accident. We are here because of a divine creator. It's an opening line that begs you to read more. 
And as you continue in the story, you find that God just didn't create the universe, the heavens and the earth, but he created humankind to know him and be known by him. He put us in the center of his creation to steward it. Taking our cue from him, we are to bring out the best in creation. The story goes on to tell us the divine creator created humans differently from the rest of creation. God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Genesis 1.27 reads, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, you may have never considered this before, but I want you tonight. Part of being made in God's image is having a love for story. That's right. I would argue that the reason we are fixated with the power of story, the reason why they are bestseller lists and why videos and movies are ever popular is because we are made in God's image. Allow me to explain a little bit. We all have a favorite story, right? If I asked you what your favorite story was, or at least what a favorite story is, sometimes it's hard to narrow them down, you'd have an answer pretty quickly, right? Sound of Music, Braveheart, Lord of the Rings, Princess Bride. Just so I know you're tracking with me, share with someone next to you your favorite story quickly. It's okay. We all love stories. We watch them, we read them, we tell them, we listen to them. To love stories is to be human. The power of story can be seen in story phenomena, like I remember, I was so blown away by this fact when the movie Titanic came out, and I remember hearing on the radio this woman who called in and said she saw the movie Titanic 16 times in the movie theater. What makes someone spend so much time and money on a story? It's the power of the story contained in it. When Harry Potter and the Death Deathly Hallows, the seventh book of the Harry Potter series came out, it sold 15 million copies in the first 24 hours. Think about that for a second. If we have 30,000 bookstores, that would be each bookstore sold 500 copies in one day. What makes people anticipate a book so intensely? It's the power of story. The Hunger Games seems to be the latest story that has gripped mass amounts of people. We'll have to wait the next few weeks, a few months to see how that turns out. Story has power. The power to convey truth and meaning. We love stories, I would say, because we are made in God's image. God choose, chose to reveal himself in stories. The Bible contains hundreds of stories to convey God's values, God's truths, God's goals, and God's plans. Put all those stories together, and you'll find links to a, a master story, a master storyline that runs from Genesis to Revelation. If you were with us in the morning a few Sundays ago, we talked about this, this master story. And it goes, it's in four chapters. It goes creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God not only chooses to reveal himself through stories, but his son also did. Like father, like son, Jesus conveyed the truth of his mission and purpose and declared the father's values through parables, through stories. Not only that, but the incarnation, incarnation itself 
is described in language dripping of story. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The story became alive, and through Jesus we could see God's grace and truth acted out in front of us. We are captivated by story because we resonate with stories. We identify with characters. We relate to plot themes and struggles contained in the story. Take a look at this slide here for a second. Every story has four elements to it. Every good story, and frankly, every bad story, has four key elements to it. Setting, conflict, climax, resolution, or resolve. Let's take Star Wars, for example. The setting is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The conflict is the Emperor, Darth Vader, the dark side, is trying to take over the galaxy and enslave all the planets under its rule. The climax comes in the Return of the Jedi when Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader face off. But Darth Vader ends up sparing Luke, sacrificing himself. He takes down the Emperor. The resolution, the resolve, is the ensuing celebrations and the balance it brings to the Force. Every story has setting, conflict, climax, resolve. These four elements not just make up a good story, but they make up the backdrop of our lives, your life and my life. We all have these four elements in here. We have a setting, the places where we live and work and hang out every day. We have conflict, and our conflict may vary a little bit from individual to individual, but basically it's the same. We all struggle with selfishness, with envy, with ego, with jealousy, with greed, with mismanaged anger, and every other sin that plagues us and our relationships. Setting clim conflict climax. Let's pause here for a moment. The climax, interesting enough, is the part of our story that intersects with God's story, God's master story. Look here for a second. Interesting, I, I said that uh, God reveals himself through stories, through the little stories in the Bible, and through the meta, the, 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 there's an academic uh, seminary term, meta-narrative, through the, the master story of the Bible. And uh, look at this next slide here. Perfectly, creation, the setting of life, the conflict is the fall the climax is redemption, the cross, and the resolution is restoration, the new kingdom, the new way of life that Jesus ushers in. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, setting, conflict, climax, resolution. I want to focus right in, you can take that slide down, I want to focus right in on the climax, the redemption. See, many people waste much of their lives trying to resolve the conflict on their own, trying to jump right over the climax and go right from conflict to resolve or conflict to resolution. And human beings do this in two major ways. First, we, we can rebel against a notion of sin, rebel against God's attachments or, 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 or faith's uh, moral obligations or, or God's impingement upon our life. And we'll try to run from that. We'll run from all that. But the problem is, the more freedom we think we're gaining, the more enslaved we are to the passions, to the desires that are sinful and that hold us back from experiencing life. The second way we try to jump over the climax and head right to the resolution is the exactly opposite. 
We try to manage or control our sin. We try to control our actions. Sin management, really, is a good name for this. The problem is, is that we'll quickly find that the more we try to be good, the more we try to do good, we'll find just how deep things like arrogance, selfishness, greed, jealousy, and hate go in ourselves. We'll find out just how easily we get bent out of shape over petty things. And so on the outside, we'll do good. Oh yeah, we're going to do good in, in front of everybody. But inside, we're seething that that person was so insensitive that they made us go out of our way to do good. The more we try to control ourselves into moral righteousness, the more we'll find ourselves unable to have righteousness inside. Rebellion doesn't work, and sin management doesn't work. We're hopeless and stuck unless we embrace the climax of the story, of God's story, redemption. Our passage, and I just want to focus on the first two verses here in Isaiah 53, uh, verse 10 and 11, hones in on this. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes him his life a guilt offering, I want to pause here in the middle of the phrase. Do you see that? It, it was the Lord's will. And though the Lord, the climax, redemption, is all God's doing. We cannot do it through rebellion or control. It's all God's doing. He'll make him a guilt offering to take away our guilt, atone for our sins, end our conflict. Verse 11 says this, After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. This is very difficult Hebrew, actually. There's a lot of pronouns, a lot of prepositions, and it can be translated a few ways. And if you look back to the old Masoretic text, the old Hebrew text, um, you'll, you'll find it fleshed out just a little bit differently. And I think it's a little more helpful than the NIV. And it says this, he will see the results of the suffering of his soul and be satisfied. I like that. Jesus will see the results of the suffering of his soul. Was it, were the results of the suffering of his soul? Us free. And he'll be satisfied. By his knowledge, by knowledge of him, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. That is redemption. That's the climax, not only to the story of God, but it's a, the climax to our story, our personal story. Our conflict with God, our conflict with others, our conflict with ourselves ends at the cross. If you look at many of the most popular stories out there, you'll find that the climax of those stories are just a derivative, are just a spin-off, just a cheap imitation of the climax to God's story. Think about it for a second. Movies like Braveheart, Spider-Man, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, even the latest Hunger Games story has at its climax some form of sacrificial love where the good side sacrifices on behalf of the people. 
to overcome evil. Why do we love these stories? Why do we make them bestsellers? Because the story of redemption is embedded deep within us. Because deep within us is a need for redemption. And this is what Jesus provides when he takes upon our sins and pays their penalty in full. So we are no longer captive to sin. We are no longer at odds with God. We have been rescued, redeemed, set free. And so Easter today is a celebration that we have turned the page. We have moved from the climax into the chapter 4, the resolve, restoration, life in God's presence. And so my challenge to us tonight is to let our hearts burn within us as we contemplate the truth and meaning of the Easter story for our everyday lives. See, those disciples in Luke were so shaken by the form of redemption that they thought it didn't come true. And Jesus came alongside of them. And what did Jesus do? If we would read the whole chapter, we'd see that Jesus showed how he fits into the story. And he traced the scriptures, traced himself through the scriptures and showed them the story. And they were having aha moments left and right. And then in our passage, it says, after he broke the bread and gave it to them, their eyes were open. They recognized it. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures up to us? Didn't our hearts burn within us? I love that language. They said, basically, as Jesus laid the story out for us and showed us how he was in the story and how our lives intersect with God's story. My challenge to us tonight is not just to let our hearts burn with the meaning of the Easter story, but that our burning heart would move us to action. And we would kick our lives into the restoration mode. We would turn the page and enter into the restoration mode in every area of our life. A necessary response to experiencing redemption is moving onward to restoration. We all have stories we are writing with our lives right now. This coming week, we will write another paragraph in our story. How will we go from Easter? How will we incorporate the Easter story into our lives? God gives us a little leeway in that. Here's an example. Downtime at home, no one's around. You're on the internet. A shady link happens. Do you click the link and investigate internet porn? Or do you let... The Easter story resonate in your heart. And you say, I'm dead to that. And you shut the computer down and you go do something unproductive. You come across someone and you realize you're holding a grudge against them. At work or at home, a family member, friend. Do you let the Easter story resonate in your heart and say, hey, life is too short to be living with a grudge. Let's pop that out and move on. How are you going to let the Easter story resonate in your heart? Sitting in the 
easy chair with your clicker in hand, burning an hour, two hours, or three hours on a Saturday? Are you going to let the Easter story resonate you and wake you up to vision and mission and service? How you can creatively use your God-given gifts and talents for His purposes. The resurrection, Easter Sunday, means everything has changed. The resolution of the story is underway. God is calling us into restoration. He is inviting us to become secret agents of the restoration movement. Will we join him? All things are possible because God is driving this movement. Will we follow?